It's travel with Stephanie Abrams. I promise to tell you about the Roosevelt Hotel. A story I wouldn't be sharing if it was staying in business because there would be no reason to. Because I'd never talk about that hotel for any reason whatsoever. There is nothing about that hotel that really rose other than, you know, it had history and it was interesting architecturally and whatever. But there are so many fabulous hotels in New York City that to talk about and to visit and to pine to stay at. It would never have been a hotel way up on my list of, well, I guess to put it bluntly, if there were a snowstorm and the Long Island Railroad wasn't running and Amtrak wasn't running and there, there was no way to get a taxi or a subway and go home or go somewhere else, if it were the only game in town, I'd stay. But it would, never would have been way up on my hit parade. Years ago, my husband was in the toy business and February was the month of Toy Fair. And the first week of February was kind of like a pre Toy Fair week when all the fancy pants toy buyers came from all over the U.S. and all over the world. People that bought millions of dollars, their orders were, you know, double figure millions. And they were buying for next Christmas in February, whatever next, you know, whatever year it was, February orders coming to see uh, all the toy manufacturers and what they were displaying for toys for next Christmas which in general would be available for shipment in October if you took early shipment and then you could get a little extra kicker of uh, advertising money if you took early shipment and paid early. Now, that kind of stuff is what I picked up along the way. And I used to go in for one of the weeks. So the first week was when all the big, huge buyers came in. And the second week was oh, pretty much everybody else. And the last week often tended to be um, anybody that didn't make it to the first or second week or, uh, you know, small buyers, local buyers. Um, and that was it. And then the last week of the month was the company roundup. How do we do? What do we need to manufacture and what didn't sell <laughs> and all that kind of thing. So I would go in for a week by myself, nanny at home with the kids. And then the next week, the kids were out of school because it was the third week in February and President's Week off. And I would bring the kids in and we'd spend a week uh, in the city. It was great. I loved it. So it was my special vacation. So one year, they didn't make, whoever was in charge of making reservations didn't make them early enough. And by the time they went looking for 50 rooms in a hotel for the salesman and other executives who would be coming in and staying in Manhattan because they were in meetings from early, early in the morning and then you know, with clients and out for dinner entertaining people. And it was like nonstop. So if you lived outside of Manhattan, you really needed to stay in Manhattan. There was no time for commuting. And so when they went to get the 50 rooms, the only hotel they could get with 50 rooms available was the Roosevelt because it was kind of last minute. It was like about 60 days before, sometime in November, when somebody woke up and said, oh, my goodness, we don't have reservations for Toy Fair. And so they made the reservations at the Roosevelt. Now, the Roosevelt, um, there's a, a, a term I have to introduce you to. The term is hooker. Now, if you were in Ireland, that would mean a boat. And there's a fellow now, Bill O'Brien, who owns O'Brien Ferries and Doolin Ferries. And you can go, he's a wonderful guy. Give him my love if you ever go on a Doolin Ferry or an O'Brien Ferry. And he's in the area around Doolin. 
and it's just south of the Cliffs of Mower on the west coast of Ireland, and you can go out and see the cliffs from the sea, or you can go to the one, uh, one of the Aran Islands or more with Bill and his companies. And um, he's got a boat called the Happy Hooker, which has nothing to do with prostitution. A hooker is a kind of boat, because I remember the first time I saw the boat and its name painted on the side of the boat. I thought that was hilarious. Well, that term applied, um, it was Hooker Haven over at the Roosevelt Hotel, but it had nothing to do with boats. And on this one particular evening, I got a call late afternoon from my husband that he's leaving the office at 5 o'clock. He will swing by the Roosevelt at 5.30 to pick me up, be ready. And we're going out to dinner with some big company that buys toys. And we've got a six o'clock reservation, so don't be late. 5.30 in the lobby. So I go to the lobby at about 5.20, just in case he shows up early. And I'm standing in February near the door because it's colder the closer you get to the door. And I'm just hanging out, standing there. All dressed, cocktail dress, pearls, heels, whatever. And um, a guy comes up to me and says, uh, you look like you're available. And my answer to him was, uh, actually, I am until my husband comes by. He's the police commissioner of New York City. That man moved faster than a jet engine. I want you to think about that story. I hope it's got a smile on your face and come back next week. This is Stephanie Abrams and goodbye to the Roosevelt. We're flying high. Guests of Stephanie Abrams' travel shows when here in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts stay at the delightful and trendy boutique Hotel on North. Visit their website at hotelonnorth.com. It's travel with Stephanie Abrams. So I was talking about the Roosevelt Hotel. I was talking about hotels in jeopardy in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world. But for the moment, let's worry about our own backyard. I was talking about nonprofits, museums, attractions, and whatnot. And it all, now you've got all these threads. Let me braid them together for you. If we don't support our local hotels, and when I say local, in a five to 700 or a thousand mile range drive market, even if you drew a circle around where you live of 250 miles radius, that's 500 mile diameter. You will find attractions, you will find hotels, inns of various kinds. You'll find things that you could be doing that will provide you with some diversion from feeling like a shut-in or a prisoner. And you will find uplifting experiences to, you can't live in a vacuum. And everything that you get in terms of input should not come from a flat screen. So, and if we don't support our hotels, our restaurants, even if it's takeout, if we don't support our hotels and our restaurants and our museums, who is? 
I'd like to think like, you know, foundations. And there are many that are well-funded, like, you know, people like Bill Gates and the likes would step up to the plate to help fund and make sure that our important attractions, but also our hotels and our restaurants, don't disappear. I mean, how many businesses can afford to stay in business without $1 revenue in a year? And that's what we're heading for. So it behooves us, especially for those of you who, like me, have wanderlust, want to go places, enjoy the experiences, love building a memory bank, so that you have a lifetime of wonderful experiences to look back on and that you can learn from them. Because I listen to people open their mouths and forgive me, people don't have to tell you they're brilliant and they don't have to tell you they're stupid. You'll know that the minute they open their mouth and they start to talk. It's like somebody trying to tell you they're beautiful. You'll know if they're beautiful on the inside and or the outside once you start to interface with them. They don't have to tell you. And going places is key to appreciating the Earth, which is such a beautiful planet. And the things, the positive things that have been created on this planet over millennia. That I come away enriched, enhanced, inspired, and uplifted from visiting those places in a way that, you know, I have a TV show, but I'm going to tell you, while I can show you places in the world, don't think because you saw it on the TV show, now you don't need to go there. If you saw it and you connected with it, that's the reason why you have to go there because whatever you are seeing on a flat screen or a flat piece of paper doesn't come close to the experience of being there. So now when our passports have the value of toilet tissue, this is the time to be looking at how can I go places Places that are open, either because it's open air places, just outdoorsy things, or they are really controlling the environment so so few people are going through at a time, and they have given you an indication that they have knocked themselves out to use disinfecting this and that, where the experience is as contactless as possible. And if you're going to have contact, you're going to have a mask, you're going to have latex gloves on, you're going to throw them away, peel them off inside out and drop them somewhere before you go and get in your own car. And I am convinced that this can work if everybody is doing their due diligence. And I can tell you that the hospitality industry, from the airlines to hoteliers, are going out of their way to massively deep clean everything in sight because the last thing they want to do is lose their staff and lose their guests. That would not be pretty. 
And this is essential. It really is essential. So if you have restrictions wherever you are, and I can tell you that the places like in Ireland where five kilometers, 10 kilometers is six miles, six and a quarter miles. So it's a little over three miles, five kilometers. They've got a restriction. You can't go further away from that unless it's something essential, like you're headed for some hospital that's farther away or... I don't know, you got to have a good story if you get stopped by the Garda, the police. But even within a small radius of wherever you are, see if there is a way where you can comfortably go and visit and support your local community, your drive market. Because without that kind of economic traffic, when things open up, there are places that are going to be ghost towns. That's not a pretty thought. So I wanted to tell you about the Roosevelt Hotel. You know, I am a person that believes in positivity. I don't waste my time telling negative stories. This is only a partially negative story. It's more a funny story than anything else, but it's not a story I would have told you if I wouldn't have talked about the Roosevelt Hotel ever. And I mentioned earlier in this segment really what my mission is, and that's to introduce you to destinations and suppliers in those destinations. And the travel industry suppliers are uh, companies that provide products and services for travelers. And I'm not talking about products and services like hand sanitizers and masks. I'm talking about products and services like hotel rooms, car rentals, cruise ships, museums and others, attractions, and whatever. There are people who are in broadcasting who focus on travel I don't know that they come out of the travel industry, and maybe that's where the difference is. Maybe if I had gone to school for journalism and broadcasting and whatever, and put that interest together with an interest in travel and slapped the label on my forehead that said travel expert because I'd been a lot of places, uh, maybe that's the difference. I come out of the travel industry. I'm listed as one of the 100 most powerful women in travel by a travel agent magazine who three years in a row included me in their lists of, well, the list kept getting smaller. Started out the most powerful women in travel. The next issue was the 250 or the 200, I forget which, most powerful women in travel. The next one was the 100 most powerful women in travel. And the next one was the 50. And that's when I hit the cutting room floor <laughs> because the 50 were... Uh, people, those of you listening in Florida and those of you in the travel industry will know who I'm talking about. There are people like Vicki Freed, who was then vice president of sales and who knows what, she had a long, long title. A very perky, spunky, wonderful woman um, who was um, for the longest time with Carnival Cruise Lines and then probably about eight, ten years ago moved over to another cruise line. But people like Vicki Freed and people from um, um, from Sabre, um, uh, one of the um, 
airline reservation systems, the one that was developed by American Airlines, uh, people uh, who were with airlines and whatever. And so um, I got edged out, folks. But nonetheless, um, I, you know, I was in the first three issues they ever read. And um, I have a different attitude. I don't see the point in wasting time telling you about places that are no good. What is the point of that? There's one guy out there wrote a book about, you know, the worst places to visit. Why would you waste your time writing it? More than that, why would you waste your time reading it? Invest your time finding out about places, suppliers in the industry, and destinations that I am convinced you will come home from enriched, enhanced, inspired, and uplifted, and somehow know you're a better person because of the experience you just had. Now, I'm going to come back to that because there's some really inherent things that have to do with respecting other people, being tolerant to allowing new ideas to infiltrate your brain, being able to see that there isn't one way to open a coconut or anything else. You know, there are some things we do routinely. This is how we do it. And then you go to some other country and they're doing the same thing so differently, so much better, so much more efficiently for so much less money and it's working better. We actually can learn from other people on the planet. But because when you go from New York to New Jersey or you go from Washington to Oregon, you're not crossing into another country. And we pretty much from state to state do so much the same way. We get the impression if we never leave our little bubble that this is how it's done and it's the only way it's done. And I think you can understand it best when you think about your own growing up process and one day you looked at how your parents did something and it's anything from, you know, landscaping to something in the kitchen or whatever. And it was like, you know, that bingo moment when you said, why are you doing it that way? It would be so much easier if you would. Men do that to women all the time. <laughs> They're always there to supervise. Why are you doing it that way? You should do it this way. But when we as people just travel in the U.S. and not elsewhere, we don't get that learning experience. So it's, it's really vital. And I'm going to swing back to that. But first, I want to tell you about the Roosevelt. So I would never have shared this with you because no point in bad-mouthing a hotel. Rather talk to you about great places than talk to you about why a place isn't great. But now they're out of business. They have announced it. I don't know if they've actually shut their door, but it doesn't make a difference. They're going. The Roosevelt Hotel is in a fabulous location. That's the most I could have said about it. The rooms were okay. Um, I, I don't ever remember it be like, you know, from the song, the Cole Porter song, You're the Tops, You're the Eiffel Tower. Your Mickey Mouse? No. No. But it was less expensive than some of the places that were in New York can be pricey. Well, the Roosevelt Hotel was taken over uh, by um, a big group during Toy Fair decades ago, sometime in the early 90s, I want to say. 
and it was taken over by, um, there were a lot of people in New York for Toy Fair. And um, my husband's company took about 50 rooms in the hotel for its salespeople and out-of-town executives and others. And in order to um, accommodate everybody who could come in for Toy Fair. So I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to tell you what happened to me in the lobby of the Roselle Hotel. It's going to crack you up. Don't leave me. It's travel with Stephanie Abrams. You know, we're, we're kind of in a weird place. One out of, out of every nine people on the planet is employed in travel, tourism, and hospitality. Hotels, other lodgings, restaurants, attractions, which include things like nonprofits, museums, and the like, as well as things like theme parks and theaters and whatever. They rely... On visitors, because think about where you live. Think about what the attractions are where you live. How many times a year do you go to those attractions? And for people who live in places that, like Florida, where Orlando was an easy reach, do you go just like this all the time? Or do you go because family, friends, grandchildren, other relatives... Visitors come to see you and to find a way to spend the day so you're not just sitting out on your patio. You'll go off to some theme parks or others. But you think about cities. When's the last time you went to the kinds of places that a visitor to the city would go to? I live in Berkshire County in western Massachusetts. We have world-class museums here. When the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. The trophy went on tour with some of the baseball players. And they came out to Berkshire County with their trophy. And they stopped in a few different places, a few different evenings. So one night, they were in Pittsfield. And I think they did it at the Pittsfield High School, but I'm not positive. I don't really remember because I didn't go to that one. But they had to go to a place that was big enough that people could, you know, line up inside to stroll past to pay homage to this monument, this trophy, which I really think the baseball industry needs to redesign because in the world of trophies that I have seen, this is probably the least exciting. It's really not a beautiful piece of sculpture. They could do better. Think about it, those people, if you're listening. (laughs) Do a little redesign. In any event... We couldn't get to the one in Pittsfield. We went to the Norman Rockwell Museum in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, which is about, I don't know, five, six, seven miles from where I live. Now, I've been to the Norman Rockwell Museum a gajillion times. We'll go three, four times a year just because we like to go. And anytime we have a guest. So maybe we'll go eight, ten times a year. Depends on how many guests come to visit. 
this year would be a great exception. But it's a place worth visiting, and it's worth visiting because it's a place that is always changing. They're always having roving exhibits, or they've got artwork that's warehoused, and they'll bring some other stuff in and put some things away for a period of time. So there's always something going on. And often they have people who are, um, you know, visiting to give speeches and whatnot. So um, the Boston Red Sox and their trophy, not the whole team, a couple of the players, and the trophy came and they were going to be one evening over at the Norman Rockwell Museum. So we went. And it was a nice long line to come and stroll past like a receiving line at a celebrity wedding. And I found it astonishing to listen as the line moved through the museum to get to the point where in one of the rooms of the museum, they had the trophy set up and they had the players there and the dignitaries of the museum. So you had to go through, you know, good two, three, four rooms till you got to where the the trophy was. So we were in line a while. And there were people recognizing friends and neighbors and hi y'all and, you know, all that kind of stuff that goes on. But the common theme as you move from room to room and as you're walking through, all the artwork is on the walls. And people are commenting because Rockwell used people that were na people that lived in the county, in Berkshire County. So people would say, oh, that's my aunt, that was my grandmother, that was, you know, that was me, you know, that kind of thing. Because that's who he used for models. But the overriding theme was Oh, I haven't been here since I went with my third grade class. And there were people, local residents, who had never been inside the Norman Rockwell Museum. And I'll bet you got the same thing cooking where you live, too. So I want to talk about more about that. We have to take a break. We'll be right back. Don't leave me. Welcome to Travel with Stephanie Abrams. Well, I'm so glad you're with us this hour because I need to share some things with you about words and um, other things that are going on in the travel industry that we really need to give some focus to. So um, I want to remind you, our website is not .com. It is .net, S-Abrams, S-A-B-R-A-M-S, .net. And um, I hope you go and visit because we've got podcasts that are current going back at the site until August and then links for you to click on to podcasters online out there who have been podcasting our shows since we started podcasting in 2012. So if you want anything older than August 2020, you'll be able to click on the button that's going to take you there. So you've got the podcast. You also have the archived audio with the show notes and links to the websites of the guests and all that jazz. Um, our photo galleries are getting beefed up again, and as well as um, the creation of mini sites at the new S. Abrams, S-A-B-R-A-M-S dot net. 
and um, my blogs. And we're in the midst of not only posting new blogs, but going backwards. Because happily, before our site evaporated on the 18th of August this year, a day that will live in infamy, um, we managed to back up a lot of stuff. So happily, um, things like blogs, photo galleries, uh, mini site information and all that kind of thing, um, a lot of it is just it's just a matter of you know the work in progress of getting it all back up again so um while the the intention of the perpetrator was to put our site asunder um so there <laughs> we've managed to overcome and uh, it's just a lot of work and a lot of distraction um you know it's like rebuilding a wing on your house that you just built and no sooner did you get it done but a tornado came through and just took off that which just did yeah only that just did was 19 years worth of work <laughs> so uh don't ask let's not go there um as far as i'm concerned like being stuck in an airport fogged in at 11 o'clock at night when your connection was canceled and you can't get home and it's too late for the restaurants or either the only the bar is open or even the bar isn't open and you're reduced to eating popcorn and wishing hoping and praying and whatever um isn't going to change anything you're just going to sit it out till you go home so you might as well just do what you got to do and be happy and truly it is only when i am reduced to wishing hoping and praying and things are completely out of my control that I feel vulnerable, you know, as long as nobody's sick and nobody's terminal and nobody's dead or dying, the rest you can deal with. It may be time consuming. um, It may be annoying. It may be aggravating, irritating, or as my son used to say when he got um, uh, an eye infection, that that couldn't be irritating was when you got it in your ear. It must be irritating. I love words, don't you? But in any event, um, you know, as annoying as and, and inconvenient and expensive financially and emotionally things can be, as long as nobody's sick or dying, don't worry about it. Just move on. Get on with it. Do what you got to do. Stay focused. And it'll all turn out. And this may be that point in your life where I have to tell you it clearly is in mine, but this is a lingering theme in my life. I have been focused on what does it mean to be happy in this life? What does it take to make you happy? And if you're not as happy as you think you're entitled to be, then sort out what it is that you need, what environment, what atmosphere, what place on the map, where are you in your happy zone? And see what you can do now that all the rules are gone. All the rules about, golly, I mean, I think back over decades, you know, the rules were uh, in the circles I ran in, family and friends, you graduated from high school, you went on to college, you fell in love with somebody, you got married 12 seconds after graduation, or in my case, six months before graduation, and, you know, you, you did a job, you had a family, I mean, there was a, there was a prescription of what your life was going to be, and in many families... It was stamped on your forehead in invisible ink before you were born, what your occupation would be. And in many cases, if you were a woman, your occupation was to find the right guy and get married and have children. 
happily, so much has changed in the world. And unhappily, so much has changed in the world in recent months. And there is, I have not yet figured out our purpose on this planet, especially when I watch so much hate, so much anger, so much destructive behavior, so much intolerance. That can't be why we're here. It just can't be. But if you have found in your daily living real purpose in your life, then maybe this is the time to figure out how can you repurpose most of your time to do that. And if you've always wanted to work in a marina, it's like running away to the circus. You know that story? If there's something you know you are happiest when, finish that sentence, I am happiest when. And maybe that means that as this iron curtain of disease lifts, you relocate your life to a place where you can spend more of your time doing exactly what makes you feel like you are fulfilling the prescription that was maybe divinely written that you it brings you great happiness and joy to do what in an uncertain world this is the best time to give thought to have I ever gone someplace that made me truly happy and why am I not living there if you're thinking about an international destination the folks over at International Living Magazine, that's all they write about. So maybe it's a good idea for you to give some thought about where you might want to go for a long visit, an extended period of time, the rest of your life. You have one life on this planet. Invest it well. And I want to talk with you this hour about so many things related to refocusing because of what's going on with this viral situation, which I have complete confidence we will control when a vaccine that is safe has been tested. We know we can let somebody shoot us up with confidence that it's not going to be the last breath we take because of it. I am confident that like other diseases, like smallpox, smallpox was still out there. I understand it's really gone now. Because there's everybody's inoculated on the planet and nobody can get it kind of thing. All those diseases are out there. The reason, reason we don't get them is we have immunities. And we either have natural immunities or we have immunities as a result of somebody shot something into our arm and our body built up the antibodies. And once you've got that, then maybe you don't have to worry about getting polio or measles or smallpox or diphtheria or anything else where the germ is still out there, but it's not going to affect you. So we're going to get on top of this. 
It's going to take a little time. And I'm here to keep you company and give you some good things to think about. So I, I've got stuff to talk about. The first thing I want to talk about is the Roosevelt Hotel in New York City. And this is a really important story, and I think it's going to make you giggle. Could you use a giggle? We're going to do it right after this. Portions of today's show brought to you by Curacao, offering vacationers cultural experiences wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture, a UNESCO World Heritage City on a southern Caribbean island with coves, beaches, and over 60 dive and snorkeling sites. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com. In New York City, there was a hotel called the Roosevelt. It's been around forever. I can remember that hotel when I was a child going into Manhattan. There was the hotel. If it were not about to close, the announcement was made it's going out of business, uh, which that's part of the tragedy of what's going on now. A couple of months back, Chip Rogers was a guest on Travel with Stephanie Abrams. He's the CEO of the American Hotel and Lodging Association. And um, they had put out a press release about how 80% of the hotels in America and lodgings in America were at the verge of financial collapse. It is the rare hotel that doesn't have a mortgage. It's the rare hotel that doesn't have bills that they have to pay, regardless of whether they have guests. And how long can they go on? paying everything they have to pay with no income. So that may well be a scenario you are personally familiar with in your own life. Multiply that by the financial obligations of a hotel. And the scary part of that story is if hotels close up and can't come back because the people have defaulted on mortgages and whatnot, what happens when the doors open to tourism and there aren't enough rooms? I mean, there are two rules that need to come into play for a place to be financially viable for tourism. One is that you've got ways for people to get to you. So if there aren't enough airlines or airline seats or flights, and when they, you know, when people want to go, there aren't enough hotel rooms, goodbye tourism, which is a huge economic driver. We have to take a break. I'm going to come back and I'm going to pick up on that and the Roosevelt Hotel. Don't leave me. We'll be right back. Stephanie Abrams here. (laughs) 